Blog Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray, and I took a left at the valley with Kevin and Karen, and the party was really good. Woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside, like when you're feeling it's all a big lie. I feel the pain, this hunger just Well, we are back for another episode of Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Hi, guys. How are you doing? I'm well. Yep. How are you, Nancy? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thanks. And we also have Liam with us. Hey, Liam. Hello. I'm still alive. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> for those of you who don't know us, Left of the Valley is a show about positive atheism, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. And today, we got a lot of things on the go, so we might as well go for it. But anything before that, anything you guys want to quickly jam about or yes, no? No, no. No, oh, wow. No, this is great. <laughs> this, this, is this, great radio. Exciting radio? this is great radio. This is great radio. I hear um, that uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Liam, I hear that uh, you'll be leaving for the university soon. Yeah, well, in September. Oh, excellent. Oh, so you're leaving in September. <laughs> he just said yeah. excellent. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we'll be glad to be rid of me. I'm sure. You're going to study yeah. in Nova Scotia. Hopefully. Hopefully. I haven't been accepted yet, but hopefully. Oh, excellent. So what would you be studying? Uh, neuroscience. So I guess we're losing you from the podcast there. Well, the you know, the internet does exist. Like, long-distance communication is a possibility. Yeah, but I'm not going to be able to play this, this Conan and the Barbarian theme anymore. You'll just have to find another Conan. Yeah, our six foot four, three hundred pound Conan the Barbarian Liam is going to be gone. I think you should. I think you should eschew the internet and use a telegraph line. Telegraph? Yeah. I'm kidding. I breed passenger pigeons. Oh, cool. That's even better. <laughs> well, we wish you the best of luck, Liam, and. Uh, <laughs> And you're being goodbye. You're busy <laughs> we've, yeah. got, we've got yeah. like four well, or five I'll, months, but it doesn't matter. I'll get my coat. <laughs> oh, this is going to be the long farewell. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I, if, if everything goes according to plan, I think I'm doing like the best hits of Liam right now as a tribute to him when he leaves. Yeah. So that should be That's cool. awesome. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we might as well go into our yes. usual thing with this day in history, right? That's Nancy. This day in history, a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated March the 2nd to March the 15th. So we'll start out with March the 2nd, which was Texas Independence Day. So we can all give a big yee-haw to all the... Yee-haw! Where's that cracking whip? That's right. (laughs) Yeah, all the citizens of the Lone Star State and those who wish they were... Moving to uh, March the 6th is European Day of the Righteous. And, (laughs) wow. We need one of those. Yeah, I know. We can't celebrate that. That leaves me out. Anyway, um, it's an important date in 1836 because that was the uh, Battle of the Alamo, going back to uh, talking about Texas. It was so interesting because there was a 13-day siege and there was an army of 3,000 Mexican troops led by Santa Ana and there were only 187 Texas volunteers 
including Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, and all of those uh, people that were made famous in, in the movies and that we, we read about. And unfortunately, they were all killed, and the fort was captured uh, by Mexico. And of course, Mexico reclaimed the, the land. It all became Mexico. And to this day, those pes- pesky Texans are still trying to cross the border illegally into Mexico. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, they, wait. the Americans are very fond of the Alamo. Yeah. They're very fond of that. It, it would have been interesting if, if it had been reclaimed and Mexico had kept it all the way up to the panhandle. But only, only a wish. Yeah, only anyway, a wish. Moving on to uh, March the 8th. Uh, which was International Women's Day. There was a lot going on there. Mm. So I I did a little research into uh, how it all started, and I thought it was something maybe in the 60s, you know, that came out of a a lot of uh, rebellion and feminism. But actually, it uh, it was held on February the 28th, 1909, and was organized by the Socialist Party of America in remembrance of the 1908 strike of the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union. Yeah, a lot of of unionizing came came out of that. Mm. So from that day in um, August 1910, the International Women's Conference was organized in Copenhagen, and that was inspired in part by the American Socialists, the German Socialists, and they proposed an establishment of an International Women's Day, but no date was specified. And then in 1913, Russian women observed their first International Women's Day. They were going to the Julian calendar in February, but it works out about the same. But um, in the West, International Women's Day was observed as a popular event after 1977 when the United Nations General Assembly invited member states to proclaim March 8th as UN Day for Women's Rights and that morphed into International Women's Conference and they always have a theme and this year's theme was Make It Happen. So that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it had you know socialist communist roots uh, Everything does. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> all, all the, the revolution. I mean, revolution, right? <laughs> Say the word revolution. There we are. Um, March the tenth is Tibetan Uprising Day, and on this day in quick quiz coming up. Oh, yeah. On this day in 1955, a U.S. patent was issued to Aaron S. Lappin for his invention of. You guys ready? We're ready. Dispensing valves for gas pressure containers. Any guesses as to what that was? It's a valve. <laughs> yeah. Dispensing. Is that like the like the squeeze nozzle for the gas tank? Well, close. It was a whipped cream dispenser for Ready Whip. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. That is good stuff to know. <laughs> a day to mark in history, right? You only heard first. Here first, guys. That's the right. Valley. I think we need to celebrate by eating copious amounts of whipped cream. There you go. You learn all the important stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely Last time spot. it was a Tootsie Roll that today is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm liking this. Yeah. March 11th was Johnny Appleseed Day in the States. But in Canada, it's a really feel-good day because in 1978, Bobby Hull, Winnipeg Jets, joined Gordy Howe by getting his one thousandth career goal. Ooh, yeah, yeah, something. And in ni- in 2007, 
uh, daylight savings time began three weeks earlier. So do you guys like daylight savings Boo. time? No. Get no. rid of daylight savings time. I hate it. Oh gosh! You know, there, there was always always this rumor that it was supposed to be for farmers, but it's not for that at all. Uh oh, no. I'm the only one that likes it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just squeeze productivity out of workers. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was also about the Germans saving electricity, I believe, in World War One or something like that. There was, anyway, I'm sure you yeah. can tell us more about this. It's, it's I wrote, you're right. Like they call it, say it's all for farmers, but Saskatchewan doesn't even do it. And I mean, what more farmer province could you have? So yeah. yeah. Moving on to March 13th, it's Canine Veterans Day. And here, this is a wonderful story. You, you will love this story. Picture this, 1915. Wilbert Robinson is a 52-year-old manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing a, a team exhibition game in Florida. And the manager, Wilbert, agreed to catch a baseball from a low-flying airplane. This is 1915. <laughs> so it's one of these big swings jobs, right? Well, you know, baseball is so boring to begin with. I can <laughs> see why they do that. You need to space right. it up. <laughs> so, so none of the players would accept the challenge. <laughs> uh, who knew? <laughs> so he decided, you know, it was his idea. He's... He's the one that has to follow through. So the team's in Daytona Beach and for spring training, and as it turned out, there was a female aviatrix named Ruth Law who was also in Daytona Beach dropping golf balls from her plane as a publicity gimmick for a local golf course. This gets better and better. How many people died? I know. And Ruth Law, you've got to look her up on Google. She flew with the Wright brothers. I mean, this woman did loop the loop. She was unstoppable. She was a great character. So they got Ruth, and of course, if it's a gimmick, you know, and she's a woman pilot, she's going to say, yeah, I'll do it. So the the Dodgers recruited her to help execute the ball drop, but as fate would have it, Either she wasn't given the baseball or they told her something else, but she did not have the baseball in the plane. But (laughs) she did have a grapefruit in her lunch. (laughs) (laughs) See, this this is the kind of history you should learn in history class. (laughs) I know. So she's flying low, and she reaches into the bag and gets her grapefruit and tosses out the window where she sees that Wilbert Robinson is standing there ready for the big catch. (laughs) So he's all prepared to catch it, and he misses, and the grapefruit strikes him in the chest and explodes. (laughs) And he he falls to the ground thinking he's mortally wounded because this grapefruit, which is like a ruby red grapefruit... (laughs) (laughs) breaks open (laughs) and he he feels it and all he feels is his pulp and he thinks (laughs) he thinks his chest has exploded (laughs) and he looks around and he thinks his teammates are going to be running to get the ambulance and they're all standing there laughing (laughs) and he can't say what the heck is going on? 
<laughs> so finally he looks down and he realizes, oh wait, this isn't me, it's a grapefruit. <laughs> so, so needless to say, the team was not very happy with him for the rest. He, he made their life miserable for the rest of that game. But in, in the lineup, for the Dodgers was Casey Stengel, who was in the the outfield, but who ended up eventually being a manager for the for the Dodgers as well as four other. But can you can you just pick? You have to picture this as a movie. <laughs> this is great. They should make a movie about this. This is just too good. Big toss out. I know. <laughs> it's, just, it's fabulous. It's a it's a great great story. Anyway, moving on. Who can move on? I mean, you, yeah, want, that's just, you want to savor that. You can't one. top that one. I yeah, no, you can't. So March the 14th was uh, World's Math Day and Pie Day. We just had that yesterday. Yeah, and yeah world, we had pie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the World Math Day, which is like a contest, like a spelling bee, was, was set because it happens to be Albert Einstein's birthday. It is. So wow. Pi Day, Albert Einstein's birthday, and World's Math Day, all on the same, all on the same day. And it was a three fourteen fifteen, and we don't get another one for one hundred years. You know? mm-hmm. Fabulous. Okie dokie. And today, the fifteenth is Teachers' Day in Brazil, and on this day in nineteen forty, the great dictator. Do you all mm-hmm. remember oh, the great yeah. dictator? Was there a, a, set, a satirical social commentary by uh, Charlie Chaplin was yeah. released? And I think, and many people do, I don't have to say I think, but one of the greatest speeches ever given about democracy and a bright future was given. And if you're not familiar with that speech, it's easy to look up the great dictator and speech, and you find out a lot about the movie and the uh, the Nazis and the, the political... Uh, atmosphere at that time. So I, I thought maybe, you know, because it's the great dictator um, uh, anniversary and it has to do with satire, maybe somebody would like to have a thought or two on satire and freedom of speech. It it's, seems a little relevant. It's hard to point. think about anything but that baseball grapefruit. Right <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm yeah. still stuck on that. I guess I'm going to have to throw one to get you to, <laughs> get you to participate. <laughs> oh, geez. satire. God, there's so much we can talk about that, especially in, in the, the, the wake of the Charlie Hebdo thing. And Father Vern will, will address that nicely, I think. Yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah, we'll get that later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and citrusy, bizarre events <laughs> <laughs> and people that make up this day in history. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nancy, and we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Well, we're back. We're back. Yeah, yeah. you were all back. I've turned your volumes up again. Oh. So, we got lots of things going on today. I guess the show we'll call the show the uh, 
top ten reasons you might be a creationist. We'll probably call it that. What do you okay. think? Sounds good? We also have a, uh, another brilliant moment. We have my popular request, The Adventures of Father Vern. Another Adventures of Father Vern. Mm-hmm. And we recorded a whole bunch of them yesterday as well. So uh, We have a bit of a Reformation report. And if we have time, we might have uh, things that make you go, hmm, with Mark. Sounds All good? Right. You guys okay right. with that? <laughs> Do we really have a choice? Yeah. If we aren't, what happens? Yeah. I'm not okay with that. This is and where I turn off the mute. <laughs> what, what, what's your line again? Three? Turn off the mic. Uh, this is not a democracy. No, it's not. No, it's not a democracy. It's the left of the valley show. Jeez. <laughs> I'm demanding a socialist movement <laughs> uprising yeah. right here and now. dictatorship of the proletariat over here. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Okay. You asked us our opinion. <laughs> well, last time I'm doing that. <laughs> okay. Another brilliant moment. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of American stories in this uh, segment, you know, and uh, because yeah, God know, in the States, is. you know, religion and politics get mixed up real good. But this one is actually Canadian. It's, uh, it makes you a bit angry, too. And this happened right, right around here. Um, I'm having a hard time hearing you with the music. I don't know if that's just me or is that... There, that's better. Okay, sorry about that. So it turns out there's a 15-year-old that is getting support worldwide after sharing his dad's reaction to the news that he's gay. Now, I'm not going to name the 15-year-old kid, but um, apparently, for what we knew, uh, he's uh, uh, the family is um, Filipino, mm-hmm. and uh, he was uh, he came out, uh, essentially, uh, that he was gay to his family, and uh, his father reacted really in a nasty way, actually. And he took pictures of the, the Facebook passage or the Facebook message that his dad sent and posted them on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me pull out the picture here. <coughs> but the father said apparently something, stuff like, uh, I'm sorry that this happened. Oh, no, sorry. He said, he said something like, uh, you know, this is going to make me sick, blah, blah, blah. Let me find the photo here. Where is it? So uh, wh- where's the religious connection? With well, this? yeah. We're coming to that? This is the father saying, you know. We took care of you since you were a baby. We love you. Took care of you when you were sick. Lost many days at night. 15 years. Now this is what we get in return. Shame and embarrassment. If you didn't reject God and his teaching in your life, you could have been strong enough to stay from evil and scums that surround you. And his father tells him to stay away. Uh, take out your post from social media. You embarrass me for all the people I knew in front of all the people I knew. I'm going to puke. Whatever you do, it reflects on me. Blah blah blah. Are you trying to ruin me? This is worse than death. Hmm. So the kid, very smart, I think, basically gave the big finger to his dad and basically said, took the pictures and posted it on Tumblr. Hmm. So it actually made the news all over the place. Which you guys should know. I'm sorry. Oh jeez. <laughs> So, uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was thought if you guys had any thoughts from this. I'm, I'm, it's kind of sorry that this happened still in 2015, you know. But in, in a way, uh, I'm kind of torn by this because this is what drives people away from religion. And it's kind of something you want. But it's it's, it's a shame that it's such, it has such an emotional cost. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how the dad makes it all about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he gets embarrassed. He's, he's the one who's been injured. There's... Mm-hmm. It's it's poor parenting, and whether that's it, whether the being tied to religion is part of is like an integral part of that, or just kind of incidental. He's he's just not a good dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I've got I guess I get a bit better news uh, after that. 
I remember that the last show we talked about uh, Ahmed, uh, our friend Ahmed, that told me that uh, some somebody in uh, one of the imam in Egypt was actually calling for the pyramids to be destroyed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, ISIS has made the same threat, and apparently now it's gone uh, mainstream as well. So he, he wasn't lying at all when he told us this. So now well, some I'm people are calling to destroy the pyramids and the Sphinx. But the the the, the good news actually comes from um, uh, RussianTelevision.com. Um, remember we talked about uh, ISIS at the Mosul Museum dis- yes, destroying yeah, the statues. Yeah. Well, it turns out uh, we were we talked very briefly that uh, there was an article I couldn't find about the monument man that mm-hmm. tried to go in, but it turns out they did. Mm-hmm. They did. They got in there and they uh, they took all the originals out, and the ones that were there were actually fake. The, the originals are all in the Baghdad Museum. Um, Fazwi Al Mahi, who's the Iraq Cultural Heritage Authority, says. Uh, none of the original were broken, and uh, and this is why they broke so easily. When you see the video of them chopping them down with sledgehammers, mm-hmm. he, he says you can see it's plaster. You can even see some of the rebar in it. So that's great news. But ISIS, however, is uh, still destroying other targets like temples, uh, not just the museum pieces and the mosques, uh, like the remains of ancient city of Hatra, which was a UNESCO World Site uh, since 1987, and um, the ancient Assyrian city of uh, I don't know if it's actually Nimrod, but it's spelled like that. It probably is. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I hate to be uh, vulgar here, but uh, fuck you, Isis. You know, who cares, man? Well, well who you... cares? It's pretty horrific. Well, yeah. I, I mean, who cares about your stupid beliefs? Well. So, anyway. Any thoughts on that? No? Because they're just staring at me here. You go, you go back in history and, and you have the conquering religion, whatever it is, going in and smashing the false idols. So this is something that unfortunately has an awful tradition. It just seems like in modern times uh, it, it's even it's even worse because you think that we've come you know, um, into a more enlightened age, but no, there's still the smashing of false idols to mm-hmm. put yourself in a superior position. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's it's kind of funny because I was watching uh, Religious, uh, the uh, Bill Maher movie, and he makes a very good point that you know a lot of temples, you know, were conquered and then just they weren't necessarily torn down; they were just like remodeled, you know, and then they became a mosque or a or a church or something like that. So. Uh, but when it comes to statues, uh, yeah, they usually knock them down. And John knows um, how much we've lost to history with something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of it's a way of showing brute strength so that you intimidate people, so it's kind of bullying. But it's also that when you destroy someone's culture, you, you destroy who they are. That's that's a cultural memory, and uh, and it's it's another way to dominate people and and kind of make them eventually come to your side because because their own culture is gone. So then, you know, they, they just succumb to the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was saying. Been, yeah. It was done here to great effect with the First Nations people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I, it's happened time and time again. I still stand by what I said when I said it. I think it's a bigger crime than just killing people. Killing people, is, oh, don't get me wrong, it's really bad. But, you know, when you're trying to erase culture and history on top of that, mm-hmm. you're erasing their identity. That's a bigger crime against humanity. Than, Cultural genocide. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's worse than that. It's, you just, I don't know. Yeah, it's horrible, and I'm glad that at least it, it's been thwarted to a certain amount. And you would think, you would think these people, if they're so great and your God is so great, why don't you just outdo these people? Outdo the Egyptians, you know? Just build something bigger, you know? Bigger, grander, flashier, you know? Yeah. Show them off. I want to see something better than those pyramids. Well. Or I'm not going to convert. <laughs> <laughs> you were about to say? 
It, it always seemed to me, if you're right, and if you do have an all-powerful God on your side, then why does it matter so much to you what other people are doing? You know, you should be able to just revel in your own supreme knowledge that you're right. Because God has little issues, and he's very insecure, and he doesn't want to see a big pyramid look at him. It makes him feel less manly. And besides, <laughs> if, you, if you leave any of the remnants of, of the culture, people can go off in secret and still be tempted to worship. So you have to eliminate everything so that they, there's no comparison. Yeah, it's gone. I'm talking about, is, I think of the revenue. You got. I think of the revenue. You know, all that money being paid to, from the tourists to see the pyramids could be paid to see beheadings. There we go. Hmm. No, you get it. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to lose my head Logical over this. to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll move on. Let's we get move on. The, the Adventures of Father Vern coming up. Um, we did a whole bunch of recordings yesterday of The Adventures of Father Vern. Actually, it's getting quite popular. People are <laughs> loving The Adventures of Father Vern. So I guess Sorry. we'll go right ahead and play that. Now it's time for another installment. The Adventures of Father Vern. Sister Mary, how good to see you. Father Vern, how may I be of assistance? I just had an unpleasant encounter with a geology student doubting the story of Noah. I need to consult the boss. Oh, goodness me. Of course, please do come in. Father Vern... Could you just adjust the antenna while I find the right frequency? Wow. Can't believe we still use this contraption to talk to God. And I have to adjust the rabbit ears? Maybe if I add steel wool to the top of this aluminum foil. Well, it still beats the old-fashioned burning bush method. The smoke smell is always hard to wash out, and it's cleaner for the environment. No! That's the Shento Channel! He got no grounds to stand on. 
his so-called geology evidence is pretty rocky at the best. Uh, yes, evidence. Um, always with the evidence thingy, water under the bridge. So he's just not digging it. Correct. I'm concerned, Saji. This type of young people might signal that the tide is turning. You have to flush out his emotional side with fear. If allowed to think, the victim, I mean lost soul, will be awash with confidence to counter your teachings. I've got that sinking feeling. So, for your story to wash, it has to have to be sentimental. Join us next time for more adventures with Father Vern. <laughs> oh yeah, that was poor Father Vern. What? Oh, maybe you should just adjust your volume there. <laughs> what, you guys didn't like Father Vern? All right. That better? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Oh, yes, Father Vern. Yes. Well, we're just cringing over that one over here. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's good radio, by the way. Oh, yes. We're just staring at each other. That's great. (laughs) Well, while you guys are doing that, I guess we'll go with a Reformation report that was actually sent to us from our correspondent in Chilliwack. Welcome to another edition of the Reformation Report, brought to you by me, the Reformed, here at the First United Congregation of New Atheism in Chilliwack. Okay, so let's see. First item on the list, Chilliwack's going potty. Chilliwack resident Ryan Morris has been working with the homeless now for a while on a purely volunteer basis, and he's trying to raise funds in order to buy one or two porta-potties for those who have nowhere else to live and nowhere to go when they need to go. He started a fundraising drive for the Porta Potties. Ryan can be reached at Dan S E M U Z I K D J at gmail.com. Should anyone have any questions or concerns? He said the fundraising drive will be ongoing with the Porta Potties being a test to figure out possible obstacles. As the program progresses with a permanent structure to be built to replace the Porta Potties. He said, we need a location where we can set them up and get all the necessary permits the city requires. We're hoping to partner with the registered registered charity to assist us with any red tape that we may encounter until such time as registration uh, can be done on our own. Uh, We wish uh, Ryan the best. That's quite quite an idea. Next on the list, we have Papal Bull. Put the last word in there. Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission is weighing whether or not to ask the Vatican to repeal the papal bulls of discovery that were granted in the 15th century to explorers, which gave explorers uh, who were conquering the New World uh, the right to um, 
take the land from the heathens and and call it home. Uh, if uh, you're unfamiliar with the Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, I suggest you look it up because uh, it would take me way too long to explain it. Anyway, chair for uh, chair for the commission uh, examined um, the impact that the papal bulls of 1455 and 1493 had on uh, Canadian Indian population. The edicts legitimized the treatment of Aboriginal people as less than human and gave Catholic explorers full and free power, authority, and jurisdiction of every kind and outlined their duty to lead people's dwellings in those islands and countries to embrace the Christian religion. If Aboriginal people refused, the Vatican granted its envoys the authority to enslave and kill the Aboriginal people. The Commission recommends that the bulls be rescinded. Uh, however, the Canadian Conference of Bishops uh, has declined to comment on rescinding the bulls, pointing out the Vatican's written response to the UN in 2010. The Church stated that the bulls don't need to be officially revoked because they've already been nullified by more recent passages of edicts. Uh, I think that's their way of trying to get out of it. Uh, <clears throat> third item on the list, Stolo rights. Um, as mentioned previously in another episode, um, there is a toxic waste facility that is being proposed to be built uh, near the Fraser River here in Chilliwack. And um, the uh, eight members of the uh, Stolo communities here in the Fraser Valley have stepped up and said that any consideration of the project should reflect last year's Supreme Court of Canada decision regarding Aboriginal title. They stated that it's our view that the recent landmark decision by the Supreme Court of Canada uh, has fundamentally altered our relationship with the office, talking about the, uh, the BC uh, Environment Minister's office. In face of our very good claim to title, the province should seek our consent before approving this waste, waste processing facility. Um, the letter reflects the widespread concerns about the Riverside uh, site for the facility, uh, which would recycle many materials such as transformer oil, mercury-containing fluorescent tubes, and electrical equipment. There certainly needs to be such a facility, uh, said uh, Solo Tribal Council President uh, Doug Kelly. However, uh, he said, if it's needed, we believe it is, then do the proper research and planning and find a proper site that doesn't threaten fisheries and habitat, water quality, and the aquifer. A game of thrownness. Many of you uh, may have heard of the Liberal MLA uh, for Chilliwack Hope, Mr. Laurie Thronis, um, who, by the way, declined an interview with me for the Reformation Report. Anyway, uh, Mr. Thronis uh, has distanced himself uh, from the consensus that uh, human-made global warming exists. That's right. Uh, the politician stated that, I want to explain my support for the bill, and this was a bill that was uh, put forward by the BC Liberals regarding climate change policies. I want to explain my support for the bill which combats global warming, particularly when I'm not naturally inclined to believe in the science of global warming. He said, I think I represent many of my constituents really well. Although I'm not convinced in the human cause of the so-called anthropogenic global warming, I wouldn't call myself a denier either. I'm more of an agnostic on the question. He further went on to say that, I think what makes me skeptical about global warming debate is the passion, the rhetoric, the political pressure, the repression of opposing viewpoints 
the accusations, the condemnations, and the apocalyptic pronouncements that seem to me to substitute for real hard scientific reality. I don't like giving in to that sort of thing. Okay. He finally said, We have conclusions that the Earth has a fever. The seas are rising, the skies are falling. Every extreme weather event, whether it's too hot or too cold, is considered to be evidence for global warming. It's all becoming very apocalyptic, panicky, and driven by fear. To me, that's not very convincing, so I remain skeptical. However, he said, I'm happy to be convinced otherwise, but I think that'll take time. Good to know that our local MLA here is really on the ball with his scientific evidence for global warming. And finally, God has a new tool for proselytization here in the Fraser Valley. That's right, there's a new app that you can download from the App Store. The app is trying to get the Word of God into the ears of youth and young adults. The idea behind the app, which was uh, recently launched by the Fraser Valley nonprofit group In Doubt, um, has been apparently been downloaded by over 1,300 individuals. And the uh, idea behind the, the app is to engage non-Christians and Christians in all different types of material. How can this app possibly bring God's voice into your life? Well, what happens is this free virtual platform utilizes all the things that seem to be appealing to people. Videos, social media, online content about life, faith, God, maybe not the religious part, and everything in between. In doubt, the group who have launched the app um, come with the idea that many youth and young adults are literally in doubt on many issues. And they feel that this app could somehow enhance discussions and could uh, come alongside doubtful young people and give them a resource and a place that points to the truth, God, that will help to heal and restore them back to God. So, if you're looking for a new snazzy online tool to where you can find out what God's really up to, check it out. I don't think that's something I'll be doing. Anyway, that's it for the Reformation Report this week. Enjoy yourselves. Take care. Talk to you next time. All right. Well, thank you for that. That was a good report. Yes, very enlightening and infuriating at the same time. Yeah, totally. So the, apparently the MLA doesn't believe that there's too much passion and too it's too, too apocalyptic, rhetoric, right? Yeah. I was like, wow. What does he expect global well, climate change is going to do? Just raise the temperature a tad and he's going to have to wear sunglasses? Is that what he thinks is going to happen? Yeah. It, it offends me that he says he's agnostic about it, though. He's a denier. Right, <laughs> bang on, bang on. And, and given given time, he might change his mind. Do, do you think there's that much time left? So <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he's read that he's much actually time flooded left. and he has to move. <laughs> well, the research is there, and it's you know he just needs to read it. If you read it, he wouldn't be quote unquote agnostic about it. He would know. So he should just do his proper job and read the literature. Yeah, uh, there was a, a bit of a parallel story um, in the states. You guys know Ted Cruz? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's apparently in charge of uh, NASA now. He's uh, the congressman in charge of NASA. And he basically told NASA that stop worrying about looking at what happens in the planet and start looking up at the stars. And the uh, the, the the guy basically in charge of NASA essentially re- answered him saying, you know, we won't be able to go to the stars if Cape Canaveral is underwater. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go anywhere. So we need to be able to look at what's going on on the planet. And he's totally right. 
Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys want to add about this? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, if you're still denying climate change, you're pretty willfully ignorant because all the numbers are there. Thank like you. There's no environmental or scientific organization that has any disagreement of any sort. You know, the the UN has concluded that we need to do something. <laughs> but when you're yeah. adamant about not accepting any scientific evidence of any kind, that's where you are. They're just not open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I, I don't I don't understand. Well, you know, I, I'll i be the first one to say that when you're trying to argue with somebody, you should try to leave emotion out of it. I can understand that. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to go with the cold hard facts. But for him to say, well, there's too much emotion in the debate, therefore I'm not going to look at any of the data, is just stupid. And uh, There's a special name for that fallacy, I forget. Mm-hmm. But I would I would say that most likely people have I I'm I'm making this up right but my my impression of that is people have presented him with the facts he refuses to listen to them so people therefore get passionate about the fact that he needs to look at the facts otherwise we will have no planet to live on and he says oh you're being emotional yeah. I, I'm quite sure that the emotion is well, in response to how they were accepted or not well, accepted initially yeah it's it's a tone argument. When you have two people who um, are not on even grounds, like a, an authority figure and a member of the public, for instance, where the authority figure won't listen to the member of the public unless they're angry, but then when they are angry, they won't listen to them because they're angry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's just circular, right? Well, it, it's the old argument when you can't refute the facts, attack the person that presents yeah, them. Yeah. And that's exactly at hominem, what's yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. At hominem, yeah. So yeah, I, I can exactly right. yeah I can understand why people would get passionate about climate change because you know the the survival <laughs> of the species is at stake right yeah, yeah. not just like uh, anything it, it's not game an inconvenience over, it's game over the fuck are we gonna do now <laughs> all right so I guess we'll get into our the reason for the show because so far it's a great show we <laughs> <laughs> all start laughing yeah, that's not yeah. a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should do that again. So far, it's a great show. <laughs> no, we're doing today our top ten signs you don't understand evolution and you might be a creationist. At first, I thought I'd do this like a Jeff Foxworthy, but then I thought that was too much. Well, I really want your uh, your opinion on all of this. So I took this, uh, basically did a top ten list of the stuff you kind of hear from creationists when they, t- when they talk about evolution, and we can go through... Each one. Okay. Should we do a final countdown? Come on. You still like this song, didn't you? I love this song. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want me to sing along, though. That's just painful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not disagreeing here. (laughs) That's the worst part. (laughs) All right. Get to your list. Yeah. All right. Top ten. Our top ten reason creationists fail in their logic and need to get better information as to not look too stupid. We know this information may change your worldview and clash with preconceived long-held belief and can even seem counterintuitive. But we hope intellectual honesty in the face of the scientific data will win the day. Sounds good? Let's go with that. Number ten. You think... That evolution is opposed to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Feel free to jump in here, guys. Isn't it? Well, not really. There's no passages in the Bible that talk about evolution whatsoever. Um, uh, except maybe this uh, place where they say everything is made according to its kind. But, but that, that doesn't really mean anything no, it's anyway. No, interpretation. 
interpretation. Uh, right? What I would say for that is it says at the very beginning of time such and such a thing was made, and those are things that we know didn't exist at the beginning of time, right? Like uh, I believe in Genesis two, it talks about how he, they, God made cows and stuff. At God the made cows. Yeah, yeah, and and goes into some detail about that and. Evidently, cows were not one of the first organisms to uh, exist. <laughs> well, I don't know. You might offend some Indians there, or something. some Hindus. They, they really like their cows out there. I don't well, think I'm, they're going to be reading Genesis. Some Christians too. Um, <laughs> I I know lots of Christians who who believe the Bible and believe in evolution. I well believe in evolution, but you know what I mean. They don't re- refute evolution. And they do read and believe the Bible, so those two things aren't mutually exclusive. I think this argument basically says it talks about the time scale of evolution versus the chronological Bible, and I think that's the, the problem they have with it. Uh, it's disproving the biblical timeline because evolution takes yes. so much longer, and then and then again, of course, it's still just interpretation from these Christians because they're using it some kind of chronolo- chronological timeline, even though there isn't any in the Bible. It's only when what was the name of that bishop? I can't remember. I forget the name of that bishop that basically decided to count all the events kind of backwards and came up with, I think, October 2nd, 4004 B.C. was when the Earth was But created. it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday, yeah. And my birthday. It was your birthday. Wow. Wow. So, well now, done, Nancy. I'm now going to turn into a creationist. Uh, now, that I, <laughs> now that I know the world the, was started on my birthday. <laughs> in the beginning, there was Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> And then, <laughs> then they saw that Nancy was good. I'm deconverting now from <laughs> atheism. It's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign. Yeah. All right, our number nine. <laughs> you think Pokemon promotes evolution? Now, this this first of all, um, if you really do think that Pokemon promotes evolution, you got to start by getting a life. Um. Evolution doesn't mean it's superior. It just means it's better adapted to the environment. Uh, and I guess an example you can do for that is you might think of an animal with legs is superior to an animal that doesn't have legs. But, Only if, on but a, if you're a whale, you know, it's adapting it, to the environment. It depends on the environment. You wouldn't say that if the animal was a purely aquatic animal. You would clearly say it's better adapted if it has fins. It's uh, it's a matter of the environment it lives in. Yeah. Well, and you can go even further than that. You can look at parasites things that have completely given up their own internal organs because they just use other organisms. Mm -hmm. Like the most extreme would be a virus that has just completely... Or politicians. You know, rejected and and eliminated everything except for its, you know, very most basic RNA or DNA. That's interesting Um, to think of a virus as something very advanced. Well, there isn't really advanced or unadvanced. There's complexity. Yeah. But... Evolution doesn't move in a direction. You can become simpler or you can become more complex. Exactly. I think that's a good point. I think people always think of evolution as we're going to towards some like pinnacle of existence. But that's not the case. Evolution is simply a matter of survival. It's a Linnaean idea, right? Well, I think, I think the idea sprang from the, uh, when they say in the Bible that we were made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. When you're made in the image of God, you already reached that pinnacle. So anything else below you is supposed to be inferior, and I think that's part of mm-hmm. the idea. Also, the idea that they seem to think that evolution is some kind of ladder. You know, some yeah, fish will become saying. an amphibian, and then become a lizard, then become a mammal. It doesn't work that way. No. Okay, number eight. You think our understanding of evolution rests on hoax, hoaxes by scientists. I hear that one often. 
I've never heard that. You never heard that? No. Oh, really? No, I've never heard that either. Yeah, there's they, a whole bunch of people saying it's a big conspiracy. You know, there are no transitional fossils. Scientists are lying. Blah blah blah. It's all it's all well, fake. Well, just look at like Mendeleev's beans, though. Like he was a monk. <laughs> Who? The that's um for recessive and and um, dominant traits. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, bred beans with different colored flowers, and. Uh, was able to determine, you know, how heredity works, even though he didn't know anything about DNA. And he, he was a monk who did this. Mm. Uh, Interesting. That but was, that was in the 16 or 1700s. Like, it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, boy, it's just mind-boggling that you would think that geology and even astrophysics, paleontology, anthropology, et cetera, et cetera, the courts and the schools are somehow in some huge collusion to, you know, put the word of, God down and teach evolution, you know. Uh, well, Optiopterics is not a fraud. You just need to look at the evidence to see that that's clearly not well, true. That's right? often what they say. They'll say that, you know, there's only one Archaeopteryx. Uh, well, there uh, is more there's more, more than one. And there's a, a, at least a dozen that they found just that species. Right. Same with the Australopithecus afarensis, Lucy, right? They always say, oh, there's just one Lucy. No. There's a bunch. There's a whole bunch of them. You know, we found several of them. Lucy is strikingly complete. That's why she's famous. But yeah, and she was pretty much the first one, one, too, right? And that's why everybody knows her. But but there was there was a fraud. Um, you guys might know Piltdown Man? This was a, a skull and a jawbone they, they found in 1912. Like chimpanzee or something? Well, actually, it, was, it happened to be the skull of a human and the jawbone of a orangutan. Uh, but it was found in the Piltdown. It's a it's a gravel pit in England, mm-hmm. and uh, the the reason they they'll claim that one often it was found in 1912, but it was only debunked in 1953. Mm-hmm. So for 40 years, um, people didn't really take a closer look at it and kind of say, oh yeah, okay, we got this thing, but it was finally but, debunked. But 1912, that's long before radiocarbon dating or any of our <laughs> that's modern true. techniques. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, isn't that the beauty of science, that if there is a fraud or a mistake, eventually it yeah. will be found out? Yeah. Eventually the correct. truth it can will, be corrected will come yeah. out you can correct changing it. Yeah. the exactly. dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when was the last time you changed the Bible? You well, can't. Uh, I legitimize it. Yeah. I, I personally have a, a, a positive spin on this particular thing, N- excuse whatever but because because just think if it if it's possible for uh, for governments and schools and court systems and scientists and paleontologists and biologists and botanists and everyone to work together that well that we can perpetrate this amazingly extensive and well-maintained fraud I, that's a really positive thing for human nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, wow. Like, uh, I never saw, thought about it that way. I saw an interview with a guy from NASA who worked on the moon landings, and he said, yeah, there's still people who believe that we filmed the moon landing footage in Texas in a you know field somewhere, but actually doing that would have taken way more work than just going to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> But as you can, you, well, well, no, I'm not going to go into tangent there, but we'll get on that moon landing some other time because I, I can understand, well, partially understand why some people would think so, such a thing. All right, number seven. Ooh, okay, so uh, we're going to do denier. an episode on conspiracy theories. <laughs> we so, oh, that so would be should. fun. Number seven. You think <laughs> you need faith to accept evolution. You guys ever heard that? Oh, generally um, followed by you need faith to believe anything or yeah, something yeah. of that sort. First of all, I hate the saying, I believe in evolution. I hate that. Evolution is a fact. Uh, and well, it's the cornerstone of all biology and medicine, and etc. 
What? Were you? T- what? Okay. You what? disagree? Well, and anything you hold to be true is a belief. The thing is, there's justified <laughs> beliefs and unjustified beliefs, right? Oh, and, okay. And so it all it all comes down to epistemology. Kind of semantic. How here. you believe something? You no, know, it, it's important because. It's if, time to put Liam's brain back in the jar. If, <laughs> if reason is your your way of coming to beliefs, then your beliefs are almost always going to be true. Whereas if faith is your way of coming to beliefs, you can believe whatever anyone tells you, right? Uh, the the important part is why you believe something okay, and not what you believe. Let's just rephrase this. There's plenty of scientific evidence to support well, yeah, evolution. It's a completely justified belief, and it's... <laughs> True. Well, the thing, the thing is, is when when you when you're saying you believe in evolution, it kind of leaves it open to being wrong. Well, isn't it? If I came in here tomorrow with a bunch of evidence that disproved it, it would be wrong, right? That's how theories work. Well, okay, fair, fair enough. The thing is, it's true, so you know that won't happen. It, but yeah, but it 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 leaves evolution in the realm of. It, Colin, saying you believe in it puts it acts as though it's like a religion. I believe in Christianity. I believe in Islam. But, I believe in evolution. That's not. It's not the, part of that group. The, the important thing with with even the religions is the faith, because if you you could actually go back and find you know scientific evidence and documentation that said you know a certain religion is true. It's possible that that religion is true, but the reason you don't believe it is because that kind of data doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, but it, it, okay. My okay, point, this my is, point this with is this is another tangent, my, anyway. No, because my point with this is, um, you guys have heard of Ray Comfort, the Banana Man. Yeah. He made this horrible movie called. He made this horrible movie called Evolution versus God, and he that's what he does. He he goes to people. It's completely dishonest. And uh, this this woman, I was having this argument on Facebook with this woman, and she sent me the link to that. And I said, I said, okay. I said, first of all, I asked her, okay, who produces this? What's the source? Who's who's playing in it? And she didn't want to answer. So I said, okay, I'll just be skeptical, and I will, you know, give you the benefit of a doubt. And then as soon as I pressed play, I saw Living Waters, which is you know the, the production company. And then it's Ray Comfort going with a microphone and saying things like, "Are you a strong believer in evolution?" See, this is what I mean, right? When yeah. you say you believe in evolution, are you a strong believer? So he's basically saying you, you have to you have to accept the testimony of scientists because you haven't tested evolution for yourself. Therefore, it's based on faith. But that's what he's saying. That's not really true. Um, not only because you can actually test it yourself, but also because you know the the testimony of an expert who can show you the numbers and who can have their experiment repeated by you know hosts of other people is not at all the same as the testimony of someone who just pulls it out of a hat you know yeah but then he would you would use the testimony of that priest will be the same as the testimony of the other priest and it's the testimony of thousands of people but, before but they don't have any data though it's just you know, whatever they claim. Yeah, right? but he, he's just using these words. He's using play on words. Well, so this is why I don't like. Well, it's a semantic. I believe game, in right? evolution. Right? Exactly. It, it's mm-hmm. it's semantic. It's how you frame it. Totally. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you'd have a ghost guys like Ken Ham say, "Can you observe it? You know, can you observe evolution? Yes, you can. Well, you can on a very small time frame if you're using fruit flies or viruses." But they don't usually go with that. They expect but, you can you observe evolution. But the, the but thing you is, can through the fossil record, well, too. Well, no, but yeah. it doesn't even need to be that complicated. And I don't understand why people don't get this, but if I say, 
you know, uh, as a person, I have traits that are both from my mother and from my father. No one is going to disagree with me on that. It's obvious. You can see it in every individual. Mm -hmm. So it's only logical that if you repeat that process again and again over thousands of generations, you will be quite different at the end of it. And there really is no difference between that and evolution. That's all evolution is. Yeah, but, they, right? they, they, but when they're saying that, they're, they're expecting you to replicate evolution in a lab in the span of one year lifetime, which is difficult unless you have something that's got a very well, short thanks, lifespan. Thanks for sure lifespans you can absolutely yeah i agree and that's why you need a different flu shot every year because the flu virus evolves like yeah. it's that easy but but to them it they're, they're, they're going to be more if they could see a, a toad becoming something else that would be their proof from from, from a, a virus to become another kind of virus is not proof for them they'll believe well, in well, but that's, that's just because they that's, reject genetics that's willful disbelief there's, that's, there's no yeah. difference between those two things it's yeah. just hey, the time scale easy right? easy i'm not on the side i'm just explaining things here. it's easy <laughs> wow. I'm going to bite my head off here. <laughs> Number six. I know you heard this one. It's only a theory. That's Who wants to start with that one? We've just when they say that, that, they mean hypothesis. <laughs> yes. But they're not the same thing at all. Scientific theory isn't a guess. And it's, you know, scientific theories are not the opposite of facts. They're superior to facts in a way, in hierarchy, well, in a hierarchy of terms. Uh, a fact is because only, they explain facts. A fact is only an observation. A fact yeah. can never have explanation tied to it. Exactly. A theory is an explanation that is never disagreed with any fact through thousands of repeated testings. Yeah. Right. A hypothesis is a guess, and a hypothesis can become a theory, but only if it is tested again and again and again and again That's and right. never found That's wrong. Right. One negative result just throws it out the window. We did we did talk about this in a, in a yeah, I think show. you did uh, uh, when you're in your definition of terms. Yeah. Show, yeah. So a theory. I, and I just sorry. I people say, oh yeah, a hypothesis is a guess, but a hypothesis is not just a guess. It's like not like I think this guy's blue because God spilled his blue paint pot. It's you know, usually, because, yes, it's well. got some kind of thought process behind it. Any guess can be a hypothesis, but if you want to get anywhere, it has to be an educated guess. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because uh, if you're just testing every random you know, crackpot hypothesis, you'll never make progress. Can we say that a theory would be a hypothesis that has, quote-unquote, graduated to a comprehensive explanation of the available hard evidence? The, the, the important part is the substantiating data yeah. and repeated experiment. In other words, if you think that the theory is just a guess, you got to remember that when you look at the dictionary, there's more than one definition for the word. Mm -hmm. I know it's easy to think. It, oh, I think people deliberately misuse the in word. Interesting point with the uh, hypothesis and, and theory. A scientific claim needs to be falsifiable. So if That's I make true. if I make a hypothesis that cannot be tested and cannot be found wrong, and then say, oh, because you've never found it wrong, it's right, that it's a logical fallacy. Yes, it, it has to be able to be found wrong, and yet, even though it can be, when we test it, we don't find that it's wrong. That's a good point. Uh, so, so I find it interesting that, uh, first of all, we know more about evolution than we know about gravity. And the only scientific theory that Christians seem to have a gripe about is evolution. I mean, I don't see anybody having a gripe with gravity, electromagnetism, or whatever, right? So, mm. or germ theory. Well, mm. that one maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, but, okay. Uh, but certainly gravity, any kind of, yeah, most well, things that we live with in a day-to-day -day level. The interesting thing, too, like gravity, for instance, there's a law of gravitation which explains how gravitation happens. The theory is the explanation of why that happens. Similarly, there is an evolutionary fact 
things do change over time. That's just a given. It's true. The theory part is the explanation of why that happens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But what you were saying was what I was thinking in that the argument against science is only about evolution. Nobody, creationists are not going to argue about the science behind toasters and aeronautics and, yeah. and medical instruments. They're only going to use the, you know, faith when it comes to religion yeah. and reject the science, which is you know, sort of schizophrenic, really. When yeah. you say, yeah, science is okay in its place, but when it comes to explaining how human beings got here, no, no, then, no, no. then yeah. we're going to yeah. reject it and go for faith. There is yeah. no yeah. limit right. to what science can explain. Yeah. No, I totally agree, but, you know. Uh, but I think that's a valid point, Nancy, that, that that's the only thing, only theory in science that they're going to even contest at all. That, and can, if you get into kind of ethics and morality, they'll have an issue with that, too. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. All right, number five. You think it has anything to do with the origin of life or the universe? Some people that think that evolution explains the origin of life. They'll tell you, well, if you believe in evolution, how come they can't explain the Big Bang with it or something like that? Uh, it's a man argument, obviously. Uh, huh? The uh, origin of life is called abiogenesis. It's not evolution. Right? It's a separate issue, yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't know how life got onto this planet. We really don't know. There are several theories or... No, 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 <laughs> we no, no, use no, the word no, theories, no, they're not theories. There's several hypotheses. Thank you. You, about, can, you can have several theories. Well, you know, like but, panspermia and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, but in this case, I'm not sure that we really have enough information to go on to say that we have several theories. Yeah, well, the, the problem with that is, you know... Uh, it takes a certain structure in the life form to be able to leave some kind of a record, a fossil record, right? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to find well, ancient bacteria. It, it depends on how you define life, too, right? Because your kind of classical definition of life will say that it has to have cells in it. But mm-hmm. by that definition, viruses aren't alive. And yet, we would say that they are. So you know, it depends on what you're looking for when you say you're looking for the beginning of life. That's true, but that's a tangent. Um, apparently, I've heard, I didn't have time to do the research on that, but apparently some scientific experiments are rumored to have produced some RNA out of, you know, doing like uh, oh. the, the basic elements and doing radiation, drying, electricity, I that kind of stuff. I think they got amino acids. I'm not sure if they've got RNA. Okay. Uh, we'll have to look into that. Um, the, the theory of evolution presumes life, but it doesn't explain life. It only explains the variety of it. Mm-hmm. I think you guys will agree with that. Um a bit like Newtonian physics will presume the existence of the universe, but Newton didn't have to explain the origins of the universe to understand how it operates. And I think that's very important for you creationists out there. That's like evolution does not mean how stuff got here. It just means how it changed and changed to the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that you don't need to know everything either, right? Like, because I don't know how life started doesn't mean that my knowledge of evolution is somehow wrong or false. You know, like no. you don't need to have all the answers for the answers you do have to be right. Yeah, uh, you know, I always, I often use the explanation of you know there was a point that we didn't know what lightning was, and we assumed automatically it was Zeus or something like that. You know, today we understand that, we, but back then, you know. Anyway, moving on, number four. It's not this. What? It's no, not it's Zeus. Thor. It's not Zeus. Oh, it's Thor. It's Thor, yeah. Thor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that makes much cool more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, you think mutations are always negative. Well, you clearly haven't seen the X-Men then, Or the you? Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, well. 
I don't know. I'm not with you on that one. <laughs> oh, come on. Heroes in a Half Shell? <laughs> no, most mutations are actually neutral. Um, benefit or not depends on the environmental factors. Um, I like to use the, uh, the the example that they use in Cosmos was really good about the polar bears. You know how a, you start with brown bear and one of them had a mutation, gives out some kind of a white fur, and that one turned out to be a more proficient hunter in a polar region. The animal evolved that way. He could reproduce, and his gene was passed on. Right? A, it's a, a mutation. Really interesting one, actually. Um, you know sickle cell anemia? I was just about to say that. So w- when you have sickle cell anemia, if all of your blood cells are sickle celled, then you die because you, you can't circulate oxygen well enough. But if only some of them are, uh, in a normal situation, you are disadvantaged because you have less energy. But if you're in an area with a lot of malaria, that's right. Um, sickle blood Did cells. Did you read my notes? No. Oh. Sickle blood cells do not uh, allow malarial uh, bacterium to infect them. So you actually find higher rates of people with partial sickle cell anemia in kind of African countries where there's a lot of malaria going yeah. around. It, pr- it protects it protects you from malaria, huh. which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And there are other similar mutations, right? Uh, apparently, harmful mutations are quite rare. On average, out of uh, 175 mutations, they find that about three might be harmful. And this is a 2000 uh, study in uh, genetics that said that. But a, a lot of things like Down syndrome and birth defects are caused by mutations as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, there's an interesting little note here. Apparently, there's a village at Limon Sul Garda in Italy where the uh, the inhabitants have a rare protein mutation that protects them from uh, cardiovascular disease. Hmm. So, cool. Yeah, well, so I, now they're being studied. I, I think a lot of people kind of have a skewed view of mutations because of the X-Men or whatever, and they think it's like, oh, come all on. of a sudden you become giant and have claws or whatever. But <laughs> so I wish. So there. But a mutation <laughs> is just any kind of change in your DNA where you have a gene that isn't the same as either of your parents, right? So that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, it can be a neutral thing. That's right. That's um, right. A lot of the time it doesn't make a difference because in your DNA you kind of have a lot of duplicate words for the same protein, so you can change letters without changing the meaning of your DNA at all. Mm-hmm. And I so so for myself, my both my parents are right-handed, I'm left-handed. So uh that's not I, that's not a that's not a mutation Burger however. Episode. That is simply a different organization of that has to do with uh hormones during your development. Oh really? Yeah. And it also but a sign of it extremely um uh, proficient proficient and intelligent behavior. Hey, we're a majority now. All right, there's three lefties in this room. Oh, Oh, yeah. I didn't know you were, Nancy. That's awesome. Oh, the show is called Left of the Well. (laughs) But I just wanted to point out that not everything that is different about you that from your parents, for example, is a mutation. There's there's different ways of getting different traits, but you know sometimes it is a mutation. Mm. Well, if it's genetic, then it's a mutation. But you can have epigenetic changes and all kinds of other stuff too. Okay, fine. Just well, forget that I said anything. The big line is I'm just being made to look stupid. <laughs> the big line. The big line is most mutations are neutral and don't really affect you. Exactly. That's and lefties rule. Yeah. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Apparently, lefties rule. Number three. Macro versus micro evolution. Not even a thing. <sighs> yeah, it's I know. completely made up. I know, I know. That's the worst part of it. Um, they they have a tendency to if they have a tendency to believe in micro evolution. In other words, they'll believe that you know within a certain species. 
Oh, so like you can have dog have... breeds because of of evolution. Yeah, they'll, they'll but... believe, you know, like the bear, like the bear example, you know, it's, from well, black, brown bear to polar use bear. The moth one a lot of the time. Yeah, because um, that's oh, I forget what it's called. It's a specific kind of evolution where you have, uh, it's like industrial mellow something, where um, you have a lot of pollution in an area, and then the light barked trees get stained dark, and so light moths. Um, evolved to be darker yeah. over several generations because they survive better against the now dark trees, and so that's a really Birds can't see them as much. As yeah, it's a really common them. example of evolution. But they'll say, oh, that's within a species because yeah. the dark mods and the light mods can still interbreed. Um, but it, it's ridiculous because you, you can always interbreed with your you know parent generation. There, well, you'll, if you have a mutation that's so enormous that you are so different from your parents that you couldn't uh, interbreed with them, then you won't survive because there won't be enough people like you to pass mm-hmm. it on. Yeah. So it has to move slowly such that there's always enough inter- individuals that can uh, breed. Although the right. interbreeding with your parent thing you just said there, I just wish I had one of those <laughs> banjo drops. And <laughs> no, yeah, they, they, for some reason these uh, creationists have a tendency to think there's some kind of invisible barrier between kinds, you know, well, because that says that in the Bible, it's there's always been there. But it says, to get that though, you say what's a kind? Yeah, yeah. there isn't any definition of a kind. Like, I agree. <laughs> uh, I think the problem is the, uh, the perception of time. They have a, a hard time perceiving the scale of time that it takes mm-hmm. for evolution to happen. Um, I mean, if you just think about most humans already, you know, less than two thousand years ago, people were actually shorter mm-hmm. on average mm-hmm. than we are now. Mm-hmm. So you know, there is a bit of sign of evolution right there happening. Well, and also, if you're in an environment that's stable, you're not going to have a lot of evolution, even over an enormous amount of time. Yes. You need environmental change mm-hmm. to drive the evolution mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Perfect. Uh, let's see. Number two. You think we never found a transitional fossil. Uh, where to start with that one? Archaeopteryx. Yeah. First of all, just walk into a museum. If you really think that, well, just walk into a museum. And, oh, actually, this is another thing. <laughs> wait, wait, if you have ever you seen a fossil, you have seen a transitional fossil. I agree. There is it, People look at this as if there's like this species A and species Magic, B, yeah. and then there's like a couple generations in between. They're just like half and half, like the crocoduck or whatever. Like, <laughs> like, like, it doesn't work like that. Every no. single individual is an intermediary between their parents and their children. Yes. Right? Every species is in transition. That's right. Uh, I mean, you can so you can find them so easily. I just went on Wikipedia just to give you an example, and just transitional species, just a small, a very partial list from fish to tetrapods. Okay, and you got Osteolepsis, Eustinopteron, Pandur. <laughs> wow, they get those names now. Pandurichtis, Tiktolic, Tiktolic. We heard about Tiktolic, right? There's none of it, right? Oh, no, uh, yeah. They they found a Tiktolic. Yeah, it was found uh, very recently uh, to confirm it was really the the, the specimen of fish walking onto land, that's the one. Um, erupts pedip... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ventastega, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I've got like, if you could like read a Latin, dozen here. No. Yeah, if, you could say, if I could read Latin, if I was better at this. I, and this is just for one little category, and we haven't talked about Archaeopteryx and everything else. Plus, like you said... The idea that we're all transitional species. God put them in the ground to lead us astray. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's the devil, wasn't it? <laughs> I think the be- it depends on who you talk to, whether it was the devil or God. <laughs> I, I think one of the best, the devil. Yeah, the best right. ways is uh, to, to imagine this is the way Richard Dawkins said, you know, it says, uh, even within your lifetime, at what time can you point out to the exact day you became from a child to an adult? No, you can't. 
You know, even if you say, well, on my 18th birthday, no, that's not really what happened, right? It's just gradual, gradual changes. Or from what day did you become an adult to a senior, or et cetera, et cetera, right? So. I Nancy, just, you're way quiet on this. <laughs> You've been way too quiet on this. I'm enjoying listening. I'm learning more than than talking. It's like in those cartoons, you know, where it's like, oh, it's the first day of fall, and the trees suddenly go from green and beautiful to red, and whoop, every leaf drops off in two seconds. <laughs> All right, and the number one reason why you might be a creationist and you need to study more evolution is... You think it hasn't been observed is a good argument. <laughs> we talked about this a bit earlier. This is, again, one of those that's been championed by Banana Man Ray Comfort. <laughs> Not everything can... <laughs> I just see him walking around in a banana suit every time you see that. <laughs> well, I see him just holding a banana and kind of turning from side to side. You, saw you see this banana? You think you have an argument? I've got a banana. <laughs> you have seen that video, have you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you've seen that video. I think you ought to put that on a T-shirt, Leo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there is, a, there, is a, there is this meme where you got, you know, it says, uh, bro, do you even science? Then you got, like, Bill Nye says, I science, and Neil deGrasse says, it says, I science. And then Eugenie Scott says, I science. Then you got banana. <laughs> Ray Comfort says, banana. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm actually thinking of the Carl Sagan one that says, um, nice hypothesis you have there. Be ashamed if someone were to test it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the conclusion of this is not everything can be observed in a lab. Um, for example, you can't observe an exploding star in a lab, right? Uh, but evolution is observable. Um, and it's observable in a lab if you use VCs. And we like have observed it. Yes. Fruit flies and whatnot. The prediction that large-scale changes, like you know, fish going to become amphibians eventually, take millions of years. So the fact that we haven't seen it since Darwin uh, said it kind of confirms his idea in a way, you know, because it takes such a long scale. But I also think that the the whole, well, you believe in evolution and this is why it can't be is kind of backwards because it's not like Darwin just sat down and said, hey, I thought of this thing called evolution or I'm going to go out in the world and find stuff that proves that it's true. It was him traveling around and seeing things that he didn't understand and that he wanted to explain and over many years came up with the best explanation for what he saw, mm -hmm. and that was evolution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the religious standpoint is the opposite of that. You have a book that has to be true, so you have to find things that back it up in the world around you, uh, which isn't good reasoning, right? Mm -hmm. I think that sums up the whole <clears throat> ten arguments right there, Liam. I really do. It's mm -hmm. exactly right. When you already have the answer, you don't have any questions. You've got the answer. Mm -hmm. But when you have a lot of questions, it leads to exploration, and it leads to trying to find out, which is, is the scientific way to do it. But you phrased it beautifully. Yeah, and that's what sucks about religion. Yeah. It gets you, you, you're happy with not knowing. Exactly. You know, you're happy with not really going and doing the research. Uh, and I guess we can conclude with that with saying, you know, if you think it hasn't been observed, was a good argument. Well, did anybody observe Jesus? <laughs> no. Well, not yeah. the people in the Bible did. Yeah, no, they didn't actually. And the, <laughs> their <laughs> ancestors or something did. <laughs> and this is this is where the segue is good because we actually uh, managed to get the. We will be interviewing David Fitzgerald soon, who happens to write the nail, the ten myth that shows that Jesus never existed. So that's going to be a great. Yeah, nailed. That's the name of the book. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. That was interesting.
Yeah. Well, I guess that's it for our show. Um, I guess you can always find us at uh, leftatvalley.com. You can always uh, write some love mail, hate mail, or send congratulations to Liam at leftatvalley at outlook.com. Uh, like I said, David Fitzgerald will be on the show soon. We also will be interviewing Chris DiCarlo, who's the author who wrote uh, How to Be a Really Good Pain in the Ass. That should be fun. We'll talk about the fallacies, like a bit of what we did today. And we're still working on David Smalley. <laughs> we'll have him for sure. We're not going to let him go. Anything else you guys want to add to this? Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Nancy. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's always fun being here. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Until next time. Thank you.